0: Good morning, Veritas. Good to be here with you guys. Um, excited to open the book of Hebrews, and we're going to do that this morning. And uh, I thought it was cool when uh, Pastor Jeff had us read together last week. Um, this is a little longer section, and so um, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Uh, but we are going to read the scripture together. Uh, so would you stand with me as we um, read God's word together? It's going to be on the screens. Also, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. This is the the Christian standard version of the Bible. So um, here we are uh, in Hebrews 1, 5 through 2, 4. Let's, Let's see if we can do this, church. Here we go. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Again, When he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same, And your years will never end. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels... Every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, And distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. This is God's word. You may have a seat. Well done. That was not easy. And we're going to try to make sense of what we just read. Last week, Jeff gave us the application to fall on our knees and worship. And today, he goes the writer of Hebrews goes on and on about how much greater Jesus is than angels. And here's kind of the question, why? He begins, he says in chapter 2, he says, for this reason. So the reason he's going to talk about Jesus being greater than angels is he says, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. This word for drift away in Greek, it's, it literally means to flow past or glide by. The image is of a ship drifting by the harbor, just passing by. This is a great YouTube rabbit hole. If you ever want to get on this, I mean, this is like boat fails, right? Uh, Yacht fails, docking fails, idiots driving boats. Whatever you want to type into YouTube will get you into a great rabbit hole on some incredible uh, ships doing some incredible damage as they glide by the harbor and uh, if you're a kid and you want to uh, use your parents' electronic device, just say, hey, but mom, I'm searching the meaning of the Greek word paraureo. I want to know what it looks like if I just drift past Jesus and ignore Jesus in my life. That'd be a great uh, YouTube rabbit hole for you today. But here's the problem um, that we need to kind of frame in our passage this morning is our problem is Apathy. Our problem is apathy. That's what the writer of Hebrews is addressing. He's saying, don't drift past Jesus. Don't be asleep at the the wheel of your life and just kind of drift past the person of Jesus Christ. I struggle daily with this, drifting past Jesus. I wake up and I'm drifting past Jesus. I can go an entire day without without thinking to pray or read my Bible and acknowledge Jesus. Am I the only one in this room that struggles with this? Maybe this sermon's just for me, but if you're a, a fellow pilgrim trying to follow Jesus and prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, this message is for you, those of us that struggle with apathy, with drifting. So this sermon, let's declare war on apathy. You with me? I'm ready. I want to declare war on apathy and really... That's what this whole book of Hebrews is kind of about here. The question is how? What is the cure for apathy? Well, one of the most famous verses in the book of Hebrews is this verse right here, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, verse 3, here it is. This is the verse. You probably want to write, like, underline this. If you've got your, um, the little book that we handed out last week, on your way out, you can grab one on your way out, just like underline this phrase. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Have you ever read the Old Testament? If you haven't, you're probably familiar with this concept that when people forgot God and neglected God's word, Bad things tended to happen, right? I mean, there's things like sulfur raining down from the sky, consuming cities, right? Earthquakes happening and like swallowing up entire households of people who are just like neglecting God's word. Terrible things happen. And the writer here is saying, how much, if that kind of stuff happened in the Old Testament, how much more... Devastating, terrifying. Would it be for somebody to just, just ignore Jesus? Now, we're still kind of in intro to Hebrews mode, right? Okay, so let me just uh, let me just go to the end of the book to tell you what the writer of Hebrews uh, why he's writing, the purpose of this book. Look at chapter thirteen, verse twenty-two. He says, "Brothers and sisters." I urge you to receive the message, this message of exhortation. That's that's why the writer is writing down this book. Exhortation, that word means to emphatically urge someone towards something. The tone of this letter is is this, "Mm, I really want you guys to remember something. And in chapter 12, verse 28, Again, he says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? Why reverence and awe? Because our God is a consuming fire. Nothing about God has changed from Old Testament to New. The exhortation dial gets cranked up in the New Testament like, Jesus Christ is on the scene, and we need to pay attention. We can't just drift by. If it was bad to just drift by God's law in the Old Testament, how much greater it would be to neglect Jesus. So this is this book, the big idea of it is it's like an exhortation toward awe. See, our problem is apathy, and the cure for apathy is awe. If you're taking notes, you can write down that first point there. Awe is the cure for apathy. I'm going to give you, a, can we just do an exercise in apathy this morning? Okay, let's just, just let me explain what apathy would be like. All right. When I say the words, listen to these two words. When I say these words, tell me what these words do to you, how they make you feel. Freeman Hall. Freeman Hall. What, what do those words just... Stir up in you, Freeman Hall. You're like, mm, nothing, nothing. Exactly, that's apathy. That's what apathy is. Like, you don't care. Like, it doesn't even make you say, meh. You just sort like, nothing. I don't, I don't feel anything. Now, what if I told you, church, that Freeman Hall was a residence hall at Iowa State University? Now you're like, I especially don't care now. Okay, if I didn't care before, I really don't care now. But guys, there was a time in my life where Freeman Hall was all I could think about. I mean, you guys, I would think about Freeman Hall all the time. I would strategize about how to get toward that part of campus. Like, I think I need to go to the rec center. So then I'll have to go by Freeman Hall. Like, all I thought about was Freeman Hall. If you'd been like, hey, Mark, what do you think about Freeman Hall? I'd be like, let's go. Come on. Why? Why did I care about Freeman Hall? And you don't care at all. What's the difference? Letha Sternberg lived in Freeman Hall. (laughs) Letha was there. Of course I'm going to, like, be consumed with this place because... I was not apathetic toward Freeman Hall because there was a person there, a person that I was in love with. All right. My apathy was overcome by awe. Less than nine months later, we were married. There were also some other people interested in Freeman Hall. Fellas, you got to shoot your shot. You just got (laughs) to... Go. You just got to get it done. So here's my point. This is a problem. I say church. Heaven. What do you think about heaven? And to you it's like Freeman Hall. What makes us in awe is the person of Jesus. And the way that the writer of Hebrews, now we're going to circle all the way back to this question of why does the writer go into this whole explanation of how much more amazing Jesus is than angels? This is why. He's trying to, by uh, study and contrast or by comparison, highlight how amazing Jesus is. Verse 2, look in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, if the message spoken by angels was legally binding. I mean, we're going to kind of unpack that a little later, but the comparison of message spoken by angels compared with chapter one, verse two, how the, how the book starts. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's comparing two messages and two messengers. Message number one, Old Covenant brought to us by angels, message number two, the new covenant about Jesus, the blood of the lamb brought by the messenger of Jesus. Two messages spoken in the Bible, an old message, a new new message. So you might say Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, however you want to think about it. And so in verse four, he says, in chapter one, four, he says, so Jesus became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, if you're taking notes, just this is the source of awe is Jesus. Apathy is the problem. Awe is the cure. But Jesus is the source of awe. The way he's going to blow our minds is compare Jesus and his message with the angels and their message. Now, verse five, he says... For to which of the angels, so we're, we're going to work through this text and explain the contrast. Are you with me? So look at verse 5. He starts off. He says, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Okay. The son of God born into the world. Which angel ever got that honor? And when he says, today I've become your father, today, emphasizing like the incarnation of Jesus. Even a precursor, like today there's going to be a day when it's like he is born into the world, the son of God. And then he talks about the firstborn. No angel can claim this sole sonship. This firstborn means it's the prominent position that God has given him, that entitles him to the whole inheritance of everything that has been made. And in verse 6, he says, the angels are commanded to worship. So the first comparison, he's saying, Jesus is the son of God. What angel can claim that title? Verse 7, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. What does that mean? Well, what's the most terrifying thing in nature that you have ever seen? What's the thing in nature that has just hit you with, with awe and wonder more than any other thing? Some of you may have seen a tornado. That would be pretty terrifying. Uh, had A friend of mine went and saw a volcano, got close and saw this volcano erupting and the heat that was coming off of this volcano, maybe a hurricane, a forest fire, yeah, What he's saying is the angelic power is like wind and fire. Take that feeling that you would get if you were like watching a tornado pass in front of you. That's how terrified people were when they saw angels in the Bible, these messengers of God that came with power. But verse 8, he says, but you thought that was amazing. But to the son, he says, your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Jesus takes that power and authority to a whole new level. That's what he he means by this. And he uses this phrase, the scepter of justice. This is a recurring theme uh, in the Psalms, this longing for justice. I want to just take a little bit of a trail here. I don't think this is the main point of this, but I I do think it it warrants us to stop and, and think about this. Do any of you guys just long for the justice of Jesus. I mean, this is a, I would say this is a generation, you hear this cry for social justice, and, and, and I think as believers, we can, we get this, right? We look at our world, and we're like, you think it's broken. You don't even know the half of it. Like, it's worse than you think, right? Because we understand the depravity of humans, right? We, we see the injustice in the world, and we get it, and our hearts are just like, oh, we ache, to see that the pain of injustice. Um, this week, my brother was telling me the story about uh, his brother-in-law had the privilege of driving the hearse for one of the fallen soldiers uh, from the tragedy in Afghanistan. One of the thirteen soldiers that that was killed in Afghanistan. He was from Omaha. My. Uh, brother's, uh, brother-in-law, he, he said that as he was driving from the airport to the mortuary, it was the most amazing thing he's ever seen. The entire city of Omaha came out and lined the streets. And he said, I was just driving, weeping the whole time. As the entire city stood silent on the streets, the family said, It's like the whole city gave us a hug. This collective silence, an entire city of people just with this, oh. This is not the way the world was meant to be, right? That's how Christians feel when we walk through this world broken by sin and injustice. We just weep sometimes. And here's the good news, church. Jesus is coming back with an iron scepter, not with just some wind and fire like angels. No, he is the king, and his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven when he brings the fullness of his lordship over this earth, Jesus is coming back. And that is our ultimate hope and longing for justice. We can still work for that on this earth as we live our lives, working out the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes, but one day that prayer will be answered in its fullness. That's our hope. Verse 10, he says, And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens, and the wo- heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They wear out like clothing. Like creation is like, like t-shirts that wear out. He says, you'll roll, the, roll them up like a cloak. They'll be changed like clothing, but you are the same, and your years will never end. So what, what angel can say, oh, yeah, I created this earth, what angel can just once the earth wears out just kind of roll it up and fold it like a t-shirt verse 13 now to which of the angels did he ever have has he ever said sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation angels are servants and their job is to serve jesus He is Lord and his job is to rule. He commands the angels and tells them what to do. Now, this is a cool thought if you guys were paying attention as I read that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Well, who are the ones who will inherit salvation? That's us, right? Angels are sent out to serve us. This is such a cool thought. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them in some beautiful way. That there are angels that watch over you and serve you and protect you. What a cool thought that is. And he says, for this reason, chapter two, there, for this reason we must pay attention. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. In light of all this talk about how much greater Jesus is than angels, the application of this is we cannot let ourselves drift away. We can't let the tide of this culture just kind of push us past The dock, the anchor of Jesus Christ. We must pay closer attention to Jesus. We can't drift, church. He says, for if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, I want to just stop here and explain this legally binding, one of the most important events in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you should be familiar with this one. The law, the Ten Commandments came to Moses on this mountain called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, same mountain. And the law was brought to Moses on these tablets, right? Well, the writer of Hebrews is saying angels brought the law to Moses. And when the Israelites looked up and they saw fire and lightning the writer of Hebrews is telling us that that was angels, an angelic host. We see this in verses like Deuteronomy 33.2 or Psalm 68.17. It says that the law came with thousands upon thousands of chariots of angels on Mount Sinai. So that earthquake, lightning, roar of thunder is a reference to the angels of God accompanying God, bringing this law To the people of Israel. So he goes on and he says, And every transgression and disobedient received a just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? They were terrified when the Ten Commandments came to Mount Sinai. And when Moses came down and his face was shining like the sun, they trembled when some angels showed up with some tablets, how much more should we tremble before Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords? Now, let me just ask a question here. This this might be a, a little bit of an objection. If some of you are like active listeners and you might be asking this question, wait a minute, is it okay? It sounds like the writer of Hebrews is using fear to motivate us right now. Are you picking that up? Sensing some fear? I I don't know how I feel about that, right? Don't we read in 1 John that perfect love drives out fear? Some of you are like, eh, I don't know. This is sounding a whole lot like hellfire and brimstone to me. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm supposed to be afraid of God, terrified by him? Isn't that what the question is? How much more? should we, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Well, let's think about this for a second. Jesus is the source of awe. And I think that awe kind of has two sides. If it's like a coin, I think awe has two sides to it. And the two sides would be love on one side of the coin. So back to my uh, Freeman Hall, Letha Sternberg became Letha Arendt, right? And you know what? I'm To this day, more in awe of her than I was back in 99. Back in the spring of 99. That could be a song. Um, Got my first real six. uh, uh, So I was in awe of her. I'm more in awe of her now, right? More in awe. As I have grown to love her and know her. And so when we took those vows... Like I was vowing, pledging my love to her, right? And I keep my vows to her, right? Why do I do that? Because I love her. That's one side of the coin. But is it, isn't it also a reality that there's another side to that coin too of vows and covenant? The other side to that is the fear of the consequences of ignoring those vows, right? Right? Like, if I were to drift past my wife, as it were, if I were to let my marriage just drift into apathy mode, like, stop loving her, stop dating her, stop caring about her, finding other loves, like, wouldn't the fear of that happening also be a healthy motivation to me? Like I'm mostly motivated by love, but I'm also motivated by the terrifying reality of a heart that grows cold toward her and this relationship. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is doing? He wants us to see Jesus and to be confronted with the reality of Jesus in a way That if we have been drifting, we open our eyes and, whoa, we need to see Jesus. And this does involve love and some fear, I think. So as we close, um, I just want to ask a couple questions. One, what are you in awe of? What are you in awe of? This would be a great question to talk about in your connection groups. One of the ways to answer that question, because that can still be kind of abstract. Like, I don't know what I'm in awe of. Here, ask these questions to follow up. What are you anxious about? What are you afraid of? What are you looking forward to? What gets you excited? Maybe it's not Freeman Hall. Maybe it's when I say the word Kinnick, you're like, yeah, that's awesome. Well, if I were to go to some place in Papua New Guinea and say, what do you think of Kinnick? They wouldn't understand what I'm saying because they speak a different language and they wouldn't, they wouldn't care, right? But for you, Kinnick is like, yes! Or what if I say the White House? Some of you, like, that's all kinds of emotions, right? Some of yes or no or wherever you fall on all that stuff, but it's like does something to you, right? That makes you, there's like some awe there, right? Stuff that you care about, stuff that you're passionate for. Or if I say sickness, some of you are like, oh, a fear of something. There's another danger I want us to think about as we, as we kind of reflect on chapter one. There's a warning here that Hebrews is not just an intellectual exercise, Chapter 1 is not, he doesn't compare Jesus to angels so you can pass a multiple choice question when you get to heaven. Like, true or false? Michael the archangel is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Michael. You're like, false! He's like, come on in! Congratulations! You read Hebrews 1. Thank you. Enter into my rest. That's not the point. The point of this is not just an intellectual exercise. Beware, here's what I'm saying, beware of the principle of inoculation. Write that down, the principle of inoculation. Back in the 1790s, someone discovered if you put a weakened version of a microorganism into your body, your body learns how to fight it off, right? Some of you have very strong opinions on all this stuff. We're not going to get into that. I'm just saying this principle of inoculation is that when you get a little bit of a virus, You can end up becoming immune to the real thing and some of you have gotten your whole life just enough of the weakened Jesus to make you immune to the real thing has your familiarity with Jesus neutralized your awe of him because going to church is like getting a booster right or something you're like Yeah, Jesus, totally, I'm in. But the writer of Hebrews is like, oh, no. Hold on to your seat. You are in the presence of Jesus, the King of Kings. Worship him. Be in awe of him. And uh, this this is what that looks like practically in my life. Last week, Jeff asked the question, does God have the right to contradict you? This is one of the ways to invite the awe of Jesus into your life is read your Bible, pray. And when you pray, say, Jesus, is there anything in this text that contradicts the way that I think about you and the way that I think about me and my life and what I'm about? And this week, here's how God's word contradicted and confronted me. Here's how God disagreed with me. With all the craziness in the world, People losing their minds, right? The agitation, the anger, all those emotions that I'm sure you have felt. I came across 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, and it said, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And it's like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Mark, the good news about Jesus should be making you a sweeter more gentle, more humble, more gracious person, and you're getting more agitated and angry at all the people out there, but actually the people that are losing their minds is you, right? Does everyone notice that? Everyone thinks that everyone else is losing their minds, right? No, God was saying, Mark, come back to me. Let me contradict the way that you're thinking about these things, I'm the one, I'm the king, turn your eyes to me, see me. Mark, let me contradict you. And as I repent, the way that I am in awe of Jesus is not so much the fear of punishment, but the awe of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I stare at the cross and I'm like, no way, I can't believe he did that for me. We're gonna be in awe together as we end our time with communion this morning. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And this is a way for us collectively as a church to not drift past Jesus. No, we are going to come face to face with the grace and love of our Lord Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I hope that you will meet him this morning. We would invite you to come if you believe that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for your sins and you just want to receive his forgiveness his grace into your life we invite you to come and you come acknowledging your sin admitting that you are a sinner and we've got tables around I think we have a, a gluten-free table somewhere in this room where is it coach all of them all of them have gluten-free oh there it is uh, the small bowl so. So um, if they run out, you can find a, a table around you with the gluten-free bread. And so um, we're gonna do this in remembrance of Jesus. And so let's, would you pray with me? And let's, let's just turn our eyes upon Jesus this morning. It's hard to believe, Jesus, that you see our sin And you, you don't just leave us in our sin. You, you come for us, no matter how far we've drifted. It says you leave the 99 sheep and you go after the one that is wandering. Lord, would you seek sinners this morning? Seek some people who are anxious, struggling with some anxiety, some fear, some anger. Just find us and bring us back to the cross. Let's fill this church with an awe of you. We love you, Lord. When you're ready, we just invite you to come and let's do this in remembrance of Jesus, the blood of Christ shed for us, represented with the cup. The bread represents the body of Christ broken for you. Let's do this in remembrance of Jesus.